Well, great. Hey, how are you guys? Good. Obviously, we want to start a little differently today. My name's Carter. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Church. If you're new with us, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we have a special treat today. Uh, some of our missionaries are here with us, Ben and Sarah Ann Doster. And you know, we've supported Ben uh, since really before we launched the church. We launched in 2021, so we're a very new and young church uh, and still growing. But, you know, even, even at the very beginning, we started um, supporting Global Gates and, and what Ben was doing in that. And Ben was on the launch team with Tamara and I to start Mercy Hill Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. So he came from Raleigh-Durham. He was at the summit, came, came with us to, to Greensboro on the team of about 30 people to do that. And you know, Mercy Hill's blown up to like over 3,000 people now, and we sent Ben out, and he went and helped launch another church in Charlotte, North Carolina called Mercy Church, and he's just been all over the place, so I can't wait to uh, hear more about his story and let him share that with you, but Sarah Ann is, is new to the picture for me because they just got married a couple of months ago. Can we give it up for them? That's very fresh for them. Just got married, and <laughs> we're excited for them. I'm excited to see how God's going to use them together in the mission, but we just thought it would be really beneficial for our church today if we just heard from them for a couple of minutes before our sermon and uh, see how God's used them in the mission and what he's doing in their life and how we can continue to support them. So uh, thank you guys for being here. I thank really you for having it. us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is a treat. Why don't you guys give us the 30-second version of like who you are, where you come from, maybe even how you, how you got involved in missions and all that kind of stuff, if you want to give us that yeah. lowdown there. Yeah, so like Carter said, my name is Ben Doster. This is my wife, Sarah Ann Doster, and uh, we've been married for two months. Uh, I've been on staff with Global Gates uh, for four years now, um, starting in Charlotte, and then God took me to Houston. And uh, he brought me back here to, North, to the East Coast, uh, to North Carolina, to be closer to my family with some health uh, things going on. And uh, in that whole process, God brought Sarah Ann and I together. But uh, yeah, uh, it was just crazy. We had a prayer coordinator. I had a prayer coordinator who's a friend of hers, too. And uh, she just introduced us. She wasn't trying to match us. And we went and had coffee to d discuss work, life, ministry, missions, opportunities in Raleigh. And... We're having coffee, and I'm like, what's going on? Who is this person? How can I get to know her? So I asked her out on a date later that night. And, and she said yes. She said yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, it's yeah. a miracle all the time. Anytime a guy does that, it's a miracle for yeah. the woman to say yes. She yeah, so. was very bold and said, can oh, I take you good. on a date? That's great. Yeah, I'm not recommending anybody woman. to listen to Eminem or his music, but... I felt the Lord say, I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or what, but I said, you got one shot, one opportunity, don't let it slip. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. Holy Spirit using Eminem don't in Don't listen life, to Eminem, but <laughs> okay. he can use anything. He can speak through anybody. That's exactly don't read the right. story of Balaam. He used a donkey to That's speak right. to Balaam. That's exactly right. Where'd you guys grow up? I'd love to hear a little bit of backstory just for a couple yeah, couple. That's seconds. a good question, man. I, I've been all over. I was born in Chicago, spent time in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Little Rock, Arkansas, Southern Maryland, back to North Carolina. So, yeah, kind of all over. I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and born and raised, so they call that a Savannian. Oh, that's and, weird. <laughs> <laughs> and then I ended up moving to uh, Brunswick, Georgia, near St. Simons on the coast, so I'm a coastal girl. Okay. And I was actually introduced to missionaries for the first time when I was living in Brunswick, Georgia. Okay. And when I was living there, they went all over the world to like Thailand, Bangladesh, Martania. And I started hearing from missionaries who actually went all around the world and was actually reaching the unreached in Florida. Oh, cool. And my heart was ignited for missions. And that kind of jump-started my heart 
for missions That's when awesome. I was in college. Yeah. And then I actually ended up moving to North Africa, reaching the unreached in North Africa for five years and learning the language. Came back home, and then two years later, I met Ben, and we like really decided we wanted to go on mission together because separately we had a heart for missions and then we were like hey like let's do this thing together that's pretty cool yeah man yeah you can't ask for more than that that's very exciting it was it was really cool so maybe you can give us a like the the story behind um what drove you to missions as well um but i'm i'm really interested for you to share your story as to how you how you started having a heart for the muslim peoples of the world as well i think that was really cool so if you want to go first and then you can jump in after that yeah so uh like carter said being a part of Summit, being a part of Mercy Hill, Mercy Church, you know, those are gospel-centered centered, uh, churches that just are, have a desire, and like Redemption, uh, just have a desire to not only reach our city, uh, but to also reach the ends of the earth, to reach the nations. And when you're part of a church that's just preaching the gospel, uh, challenging the people to obey the Great Commission, um, it's just hard not to get caught up in that. It just gets down into yeah, your soul, doesn't it? Yeah, and and the Lord uses it. And and uh, I had opportunities to go overseas short term. And then one of my friends, he was a missions pastor uh, at our church in Charlotte, or at my church in Charlotte at the time, uh, said, hey, will you take a team from our church to uh, spend some time with our friends up in New York with Global Gates? And uh, that was 2018. And I God just, I saw him move in mighty ways and ways I've never seen him move before. And I get back, I'm like, well, how do I go back to life as normal? (laughs) And so that began a process of exploring more and more what would it look like for me to use the gifts and abilities. Carter's about to preach on talents. And I had a background in media and journalism, and I love to write. And I saw that Global Gates needed somebody to help with communication. So I'm like, man, this is, how, how can I use my gifts as a writer to advance God's mission um, and what God is doing with Global Gates. So that's really cool. Yeah, and yeah. it's turned into all sorts of other things. But yeah. that's a whole other story. <laughs> we don't have enough time in the world. Amen. I know you could talk forever on it, but I would love to hear like why you have a heart for the Muslim nations of this world and what God did in you for that too. Yeah, absolutely. So I did a training in Florida. And I learned about the unreached. And they're like, hey, like, let's actually reach and engage the lost. Because there is, like, a huge, like, um, like bar scene in Jacksonville, Florida Beach. And they're like, let's do tea for tea, tea, for tea training. Like, let's actually go door to door. And, like, let's, and, like, let's preach the gospel and reach the lost right where we're living. And then let's actually apply what we're doing here locally overseas And so I had the opportunity to go on a two-month short-term trip to North Africa, and it's 99% Muslim, like 0.1% Christian. And I was like, wow, there are actually people in the world who have not heard the gospel, like actually haven't even had the opportunity. Hmm. And getting to go and see the need, I was just like, wow, I really want to go because I see a need. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was really intriguing that one of your friends growing up, too, was Muslim. So if you wanted to share a bit about that. Yeah, when I was in high school, one of my dear friends um, was Muslim. And it was kind of taboo to befriend Muslims, you know, back then. And I was like, you know, I'm going to give it a shot and just see what it's like to befriend this Muslim girl. And she became a dear, dear friend. 
And she was like, come to my house. And I went to her house, and she actually showed me hospitality. And so she brought cookies and tea, and she said, it's your first time to my home. Here's a whole cake. And so just getting to see that kind of hospitality, just walls and just even, like, judgments that I had just started to melt. And I was like, I love Muslims, and I want them to know Jesus. And it happened organically through just having a friend in high school. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's super special. God uses the relationships that we have to start that kind of process in us. So Absolutely. it's pretty neat. Yeah. So how did you get connected with Global Gates? And kind of give us a rundown of what Glo- Global Gates is all about, too. So it was funny. Summer after I graduated, right before uh, um, Mercy Hill, <laughs> our, our launch team. Help them out. I need help. all the help I can get. Uh, um, before Mercy Hill started meeting as a launch team in their apartment, actually, which was we got all sorts of fun memories there. <laughs> Ben's um, known us for a long time, okay? Yeah, it's been, I knew it's him good. when he had a faux hawk. Uh, <laughs> don't tell anybody that. They don't <laughs> okay. want to know. So, that's, yeah, I grab was, me later. I was super uh, cool back then. Yeah. yeah, he was. He still is. Uh, <laughs> but that was 2011, and Global Gates hadn't even officially incorporated as an official organization yet. That happened the following year in 2012. But we go up there, and that was my first time really encountering a, an unreached person. And, and just God showed me like, hey, this person's going to spend eternity separated from him apart from a radical move in the whole, from the Holy Spirit in his mm. life. Wow. And so that just, you know, that, that messes with you. Right. And so seven years passes, and to 2018, I get that opportunity that I just mentioned about taking a team from Mercy Church um, up, at, and it was like coming full circle, and I uh, got reconnected with Global Gates through that and just had an awesome time. And uh, through my communications role and then eventually transitioned to, uh, to Houston to go through their Pathways training, which is a nine-month missionary training. So what is Global Gates? Let's just make sure everybody's on the same page with what they do, what you guys do together as an organization and what it's all about. Yeah, so our organization is focused on reaching the ends of the earth through Global Gateway Cities. And if you think about, um, I'm not going to make the same faux pas that I made out there. I said, Paul wrote Acts. He didn't. He did not no. write Acts. Thank you for uh, helping me out there. But uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, talks about in Acts 17 how God ordains, it's verses 26 to 27, how God ordains the times and places where people live so they can reach out to him and find him, and he's not far away. Right. And so he has brought some of the world's most unevangelized people to our cities, even here to Roanoke. Right. Um, I sent Carter all sorts of information where mosques, Hindu temples, Sikh Gurdwaras, Buddhist Wats, these places of worship, these restaurants where they shop. And you don't have to go far to find the nations around you. They're right here where you live, work, and play here in Roanoke. Right. And Global Gates, that's our heart, that's our vision, to reach the ends of the earth through Global Gateway cities. And because these people are coming here, and Muslim, Hindus, Buddhist, Sikhs, Jewish peoples, and they have never heard the gospel. And some of them are coming from places where it's against the law to share the gospel. And there's not a gospel witness or a church where they can hear the good news in a way that they can understand it. There's not a church there. There's not someone who can share the gospel with them. And we have easy access to go engage them. And many of those people are maintaining that line of communication, that hub of communication with their family, friends, and loved ones back in their ends-of-the-earth communities, back in their homelands. And what an opportunity to engage them and reach them with the gospel so they can send it back or take it back themselves um, to their ends-of-the-earth communities where they're from. Yeah, that's what I love about Global Gates the most, I think, is that we don't even have to leave our own city 
Although we don't also have to leave the nation here in order to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth by simply reaching the people that are lost here that don't know, have never had access. And for the first time, they have access because they're next to us. Yeah. And we're, we're rubbing shoulders with those people. Amen. So show us real quick, we don't have much time left, but show us real quick how you guys are living that out now and like what it looks like for you guys to engage people. So I know you're kind of in a transition moment where they're, they're thinking about going into a different direction, which is great now that you guys are married. Yeah, yeah. Kind of give us a snapshot of what it's looked like over the last couple of years for you, especially you, Ben, to like just live among peoples and share the gospel with them here in the United States. Yeah, so um, actually several of you... Uh, Carter's wife, Tamara, and uh, Jacob Thomas, and Victoria, I think, uh, yeah, Victoria, and uh, uh, Katie, um, came from y'all's church to spend a week with me in Houston um, last year, and we had a wonderful time, and we were working with our uh, missions team that engages Afghans in Houston, but um, I was actually, when I went through the Pathways training, our nine-month missionary training with Global Gates, I lived among Bangladeshi Muslims. And so just lived incarnationally among them and tried to in, engage them with the gospel witness. And then um, my mom had been battling cancer for the last uh, four years, and it just became increasingly more apparent that, hey, she doesn't have more time left. You need to get back home closer. And so uh, moved back to North Carolina. Global Gate supported that. When I got to Raleigh, our leader there, our team leader, said, uh, hey, I need you to focus on Afghans. I hadn't spent much time aside from that week, really, <laughs> engaging Afghans. So I did wow. a lot of deep dive research on on Afghans, specifically Pashtun people, and and just sought to uh, build like a master plan for engaging and reaching them in the triangle. But um, you just heard her share her heart for North African Arabs, and we believe that's where God is leading us to engage North African Arabs. So we're trying to figure out what that looks like, and we're just in the process of seeking uh, God and, and talking with our leadership. And, That's really and cool. so we would appreciate your prayers for wisdom, guidance, and direction and favor. Absolutely. We yeah, well, we, we're going to continue praying for you guys. Um, we're going to continue supporting you financially and up Thank our you. financial giving next year, which I've talked about with them. So Thank that's you. really encouraging for this. But, you know, I'm, I'm excited to get to know you, Sarah Ann, a little bit more over the next few years as you guys go and live on mission together. Um, but I just know Ben with his natural talents and abilities and giftings. I mean, God has used him so much in the mission. I think that when we went and planted Mercy Hill together, Tamara and I would like go out to a restaurant or we'd go out to, you know, a play or something like that. And every time we would say, oh, this is an opportunity, we get to like, talk to this person and engage them and invite them to Mercy Hill, um, I feel like 90% of the time that person would be like, oh, somebody else just invited me to Mercy Hill. <laughs> I was like, was his name Ben? They were, oh, yeah, Ben's the guy. I mean, I'm telling you, like all over Greensboro, this dude was there on the ground inviting people all the time. So God has used his talents, no doubt. He's just got this natural uh, ability to befriend people and to be somebody that uh, people want to be around. So... I'm really excited to watch you guys live that mission out together. Wherever God ends up taking you, we're supporting you guys in that. Global Gates is, you know, one of our partners now because of you. And so we're just really thankful for what God's doing. So can we thank them for being here with us today? I, I just thank, you. thank you. Guys. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Well, let's get into the sermon for today because we, we don't have too much time here. But I uh, want to make sure, hey, can you grab my, my chair too as you go out and take that with you? Uh, you got full hands. Somebody can come and grab this here in a second. Take that out. There you go, Matt. Okay, got it. Got it. Got it. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We practiced that transition, believe it or not. But 
Um, hey, so let's go ahead and get into it today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. Uh, we're going to jump into a few other spots, but Matthew 25 verses 14 through 30 is where we'll be. Um, so we'll be in the parable of the talents today looking at that. And uh, before we do, let me just reiterate to you guys as well that, you know, the residency that we have is super important and it's a part of our sending pipeline. You know, one of the reasons why we partner with people like Ben, one of the reasons why we have a residency is because we want to mobilize you to go and lead people to Jesus. We want to mobilize leaders to make disciples. That's what we're all about here, and our residency is a part of that. You can see a trend here with people wearing the residency shirt today. Uh, we, we want to give you guys hands-on experience in ministry and a growing church and a supportive environment if you want to join that residency with us. Um, so if you think you might be interested in it or you know people who might be interested in it, please introduce them to us. Send them to our website uh, so they can figure out what that looks like for them because you get two years of hands-on experience in a growing church, but you also get a master's degree in uh, ministry or even an undergrad degree. We partner with Southeastern Seminary um, to do that, and so it's, it's, it's free you know, if you do that with us. So it's a really good opportunity, and I would highly encourage you to look into that or to share that with other people. We'd love to have a resident every year from now on or a couple of residents every year from now on because we want to be able to send people to the ends of the earth. And this is how it begins. We've got to equip you all and equip people to do that. And so our residency is one of the main ways that we're going to be able to do that here at our church. Okay, so we started a new series last week called He Gave. We talked about the idea of Jesus giving everything for us so that we could be made right with God, and we respond by giving everything to him. We're generous because he was generous to us first. We give because he gave to us first, and we're looking at three things that represent giving all of ourselves to God in our lives, our time, our talent, and our treasures. Last week, we looked at our time. We saw in the first parable in Matthew 25 that, that we needed to have an eternal perspective. The time is short, we can't get time back. Time, you have to spend time. You can't keep time for yourself. You can't earn more time. So you've got to use it wisely. And you want to use your time to glorify God because it's his, his anyway. He's given it to you. And he's given time to us so that he can use it through us. He's given it as stewards so we can use it for his purposes and his mission in the world and have that eternal perspective in our lives now. Well, this week as we delve into talent, you'll see a theme emerge over the three weeks here. Because our main point for today, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, is that God gave talent to you so that he can use it through you. Through you. There we go. That's good. Okay, that's good. So talent in our parable for today is actually a sum of money. Technically, it's a unit of weight for money. They would, they would have their money in, in units of weight for gold, silver, things like that. And so a talent was known to be about 20 years worth of income like a normal average income, 20 years worth of wages. That's a lot of money for one talent. And before you get worried and wonder that we're going to talk about giving money for the next two weeks here, not, not just next week with treasure, but today, I'm not, I'm not I, won't, I won't talk about money today. We'll talk about treasure next Sunday. But today we're looking at how God has gifted us with certain talents or abilities or skills or aptitudes, specific activities in our lives or given us proclivities in our lives. But our modern word talent actually comes from this parable. So the reason that we use the word talent the way that we do for abilities and skills today is because of this parable. I actually looked this up, and every source that I looked up on this said the same thing. Maybe this is interesting to some of you guys who are geeks like me on this stuff. But a talent started as a sum of money, yes. But then in the early Middle Ages, the word talent began being used to describe things that you could purchase with your money. 
So for some reason, it, it started to shift. And then over time, it began to figuratively refer to what you'd been given in your life to manage or to steward. So by the mid-15th century, it began to take on this meaning that we use today, a natural endowment or giftedness that you've been given to steward for a larger purpose in your life. And it came from this very parable. If you look it up in Merriam-Webster Dictionary, their etymological paragraph about why talent is you know, the word that we use it says that it comes from this parable, and they quote Matthew 25. It's from the parable of the talents. So that's why we use the word. So in modern times, your talents are those abilities God has given you that just come naturally. They're things that you can do without trying too hard. Don Clifton, who is the founder of Clifton's StrengthsFinder Assessment, said this about talents. He said, they're naturally recurring patterns of thought, feeling, or behavior, the innate natural abilities that you can productively apply. So for example, my wife can read really fast. Okay? She'll read a book in just a couple of days, depending on what the book is. I can listen to a book in a couple of days, depending on what the book is. I listen on half, like one and a half speed, or maybe 1.75 sometimes, depending on what the book is. So I can do that. Maybe that's a skill or talent. But, but she can read books so fast. I'm so jealous. Now, maybe it means she's way smarter than me, which is probably true. She's probably much smarter than me. I think it's just a natural gifting that she has. It's a natural ability. She has an aptitude for reading quickly. And it's funny because there was actually a study done in the 1950s that Don Clifton based his, his research for Strength Finders on. It was this study on speed reading, oddly enough. And there were two groups of people in this study, one that had a low to average aptitude for reading, 90 words per minute, and the other one who already had an aptitude or skill for reading faster at 150 words per minute, and they both went through the speed reading program, same program. It was really interesting because both groups, as they went through this program, the average group went from 90 words per minute to 300 words per minute. So the program worked. Like, it's pretty incredible. That's a huge jump from 90 words per minute to 300 words per minute. So it worked for them. But listen to this. The ones who already had the aptitude for reading at 150 words per minute they went not to 300 words per minute, not to 500 words per minute, not to 1,000 words per minute. They went to 2,900 words per minute. Exponential increase. It's because they already had a natural gifting, a natural talent to read fast. It's very, very interesting. Other studies have been done like this across the years with similar results. The point is, when you live out your natural abilities and talents, God is not only glorified more because he's the one that gave them to you to use, but you're also going to start to enjoy your life more because you're going to live on purpose for him in a more effective way using your talents and abilities. As you practice those things, you're going to grow and get better and better, and you're going to mature in the gifts that he's given you. So the idea is to lean into those talents and live with the fullness and the purpose of his mission in your life. See, he gave that talent to you so that he could use it through you. And then the task is to leverage those talents for him every day now in an effective way. So let's go ahead and see what Jesus' parable of the talents has to teach us about this. We're going to start here in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. It'll be on the screens if you need it. This is what it says. This is Jesus teaching. He said, for it's just like a man. What, what is just like a man about to go on a journey? The kingdom of heaven. He's talking about that eternal perspective we started last week. For it's just like a man about to go on a journey. And he called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one, one talent, depending on each one's ability. That's an interesting detail. And then he went on a journey, and immediately the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. 
In the same way, the man who, who with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, a quick explanation of this. It's a similar type of parable to what we saw last week, right? We saw last week the groom was delayed in coming for the wedding feast, and there were some wise bridesmaids, and there were some foolish bridesmaids. Well, in this one, the master goes away for a period of time, and the servants are waiting on him to return. So it's a similar situation. In both, we've got people who are waiting either in a wise way while they're waiting, or a foolish way while they're waiting. But in this parable, we have three servants that are waiting, And I really think this is an important thing to note here, that he gives them talents proportional to their abilities. That's what it says here, right? So that implies that the master knows them really well, and he knows what he can entrust and to whom, and how well they're going to be able to take care of it. So he gives one five, he gives one two, he gives one one, and it proves true over the course of the story, because the one who got the most, he produced the most, right? And then to the servant who got two, he made double his two as well. But to the one who received the least amount, he did the least with it. That's really interesting here. Verse 19. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. So you can almost hear the excitement in his voice, right? He's excited to meet the master because he's able to surprise the master with more money than he'd been given. He's like, look, look at what I've done. He's really excited to share it with him. In verse 21, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things, sharing your master's joy. Man, these are just some of the most beautiful words in all of the Bible. I think the master's so pleased with him and he could share in the master's Joy, and he gave his servant this affirmation. He's like, hey, you've been faithful over a few things that I've given you. I'm going to give you even more, many things. Can you believe that? You think about how that works in this parable here. Five talents is a hundred years worth of wages for somebody. One talent is 20 years worth of wages. Five together is over a hundred, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars in our current currency. So much money that you get more than you can imagine doing something with. And he said, that's just a few. I'm going to give you more. That's incredible here. That shows us how rich the master is. He's rich way beyond our wildest imagination of what it means to be wealthy and to have things. And he's going to set him over more because of his faithfulness. It's an eternal perspective, right? He's looking to heaven, the riches of heaven. Verse 22, let's go on. The man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. Same thing here. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge over many things. Share your master's joy. So it's the same kind of reaction here too, right? The servant's ability, though, it was to handle less than the five-talent servant. He still did well with what the master had given him. And the master's response was equally encouraging here. Really in almost every, the same way, right? There's still more that he can get to care for in the future, and there's still joy that he gets to enter. But, verse 24, the man who'd received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. And his master replied to him, You evil and lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. 
So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw his good-for-nothing servant, this good-for-nothing servant, into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, it took a turn, right? <laughs> it went from like being in the master's joy, being really happy, seeing awesome things happen to, whoa, there, there's outer darkness, there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That ain't good, okay? I'll just tell you that. If there's weeping and gnashing of teeth in my household, something's gone terribly wrong with someone, okay? There's, there's discipline that's occurred, there's frustration, there's anger, there's bad feelings, whatever it is. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is not a good thing. And in this case, we see that happening because the master has condemned this servant not for the bad things that he's done. He's condemning the servant for the good things he didn't do. Uh-oh. It was, the ma- it was a matter of investment for the master here. See, the master had given the servant a talent, and the servant buried it. He didn't do anything with it, and he didn't invest or leverage it for the master's return. And the servant was held accountable for that when the, when the master returned. And of course, I hope you can see where we're kind of going with this for us because God has gifted each one of us with talents, either five or two or one talents, figuratively speaking, of course. And we're to leverage what he's given us for his bottom line, for the sake of the master's return. Yeah? And his bottom line really is not money, but his bottom line is the mission to save every tribe, tongue, and nation in the world. It's to save the whole world and reverse the curse over all creation. That's God's bottom line that we should be working toward. So that means, and you can write this down as our first point for today, we should leverage our talents strategically for God's purposes and mission. It's a mouthful, it's not sticky, but it's very clear. That's the meaning of the parable here. That's essentially the meaning of the parable itself because in light of the master's imminent return, We should leverage everything that he's given to us, including our talents and abilities, strategically for him and his bottom line. It's okay if we're, you know, the person with one talent or two talents or five talents. The amount doesn't really matter. Notice he doesn't treat them differently because they have different levels of ability. The only thing he does is just give one more or one less. What he does is he treats both the the servants with the five talents and the two talents equally when they are faithful with what he's given to them. The problem wasn't that the one-talent servant had less ability. The problem was that he didn't invest the ability or the talent that he had. He didn't leverage it for the sake of the master's return. And so for us, God gave you a talent, or several talents maybe, for a reason. It, It wasn't just so that you could make your life better for you. Though talents can do that for us, right? We can use our talents to make money and to be you know, pleasing to other people and to have accolades in the world and all that kind of stuff. No, that's not why God gave you the talent. God gave talent to you so that he could use it through you. We have to learn that eternal whole life perspective as we start to follow Jesus that we've been talking about really for the entire year here at our church. You don't live for you anymore when you start following Jesus. It's not your life. If you follow Jesus, then it's his life now. You don't live for you. When you follow the master, you become his servant. You become his. And everything that you have is what he's given you to take care of on his behalf. So while you're waiting for him to return, you wait in active obedience, not passive obedience, right? It's active, ready for him to come back. And that means using the gifts and abilities that he's given you, the endowments that he's given you, all these different things to glorify him so that you're working toward what he's working toward in the world. 
Now, maybe you have this notion. I don't know you. Uh, I, I don't tend to struggle with this as much, maybe to my detriment. Um, but some people do struggle with this. Maybe you're like, I don't have any special talents. I'm not a talented person at all. Maybe you look at this and you're like, I'm not a 5-2 or a 1-talent person. I'm a no-talent person, okay? I think God skipped me when he was doling out you know, gifts among his people, all right? But see, I hope that as we talk through this parable, you know that's not true. I hope you realize that that's just a, a false thing that you're believing in your mind because it's actually a promise in the Bible that God has gifted each member of his body with a spiritual gift. Paul wrote this to the Roman church. Now, as we have many parts in one body and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhortation. Giving, do it with generosity. Leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. And that's not an exhaustive list. He's just talking about different types of gifts that God has given to his body. So figure out what your gift is. That's the task that we have. Figure out how to use that gift strategically for his purposes and mission. Maybe you weren't naturally born with a gift. Maybe you aren't naturally a talented person, but what this is promising us is that when you come into the family of faith, you're supernaturally given a gift when you're reborn. So maybe you didn't have one at birth, but you had one at second birth. That's what this promise is teaching us. God does give you a place in his family to build his kingdom. So now you just figure it out. That's part of the maturing process as a believer. When you start to follow Jesus and you mature and grow, as we've talked about this year, that growth process is you being able to figure out how God has gifted you, the desires, the passions that he's given you. What natural abilities do you have that you can lean into more and more for the sake of his mission? Who's God made you to be and what has he made you to do? We usually think that we have to figure out God's will in our lives, as we mentioned last week. And so far from the truth, of course we don't have to. God's will is not hidden from us. God's will is very clearly written out in the Bible for us. We know God's will. We don't have to figure that out. His will is that none should perish, as we talked about last week. His will is that we make disciples of all nations, that we love him and we love others as Jesus has loved us. His will is not hidden. We don't have to figure out his will and, feel, you know, it's not... We don't have to do that. What we need to now figure out is how we live out his will individually in the body of believers together. We figure that out and we'll be golden. Because what, what are you really good at? How has he gifted you for the mission? Some of us don't immediately know that. And we need to clear that up in our lives. You know, part of the joy of following Jesus is growing into the unique individual that he's created and made you to be as a member of his greater body, the church. So that's part of growing in your faith and maturing as a believer. I think it's fair to consider this question, which part of Christ's body are you? It's just a good question to ask. Just consider that. Meditate on that this week. Write that down and think about that. This week, as you go throughout your week, what are your passions? What are your desires? What do you tend to do well? What have people told you that you do well? Do you sing well? Do you teach well? Do you have a gift of hospitality and bringing people in? Do you have a gift of serving others? Do you have a gift of administration or thinking strategically? You know, do you have a gift of executing things really well? Are you a doer and you just like to do stuff all the time? You can, you can get things done? Maybe you have a gift of even, like, generosity. That's what Paul mentions in his list. That's a, that's a really interesting gift that he mentions there, right? 
Maybe God's gift to you is that he's given you more money than most so that you can be more generous with it than most. And you know that you have that as a gift usually when you like giving your money away. Right? That's a gift, right? All the rest of us who don't have that gift can attest that if you like giving your money away, that's a gift from God. You have the gift of generosity. But see, there's literally an untold number of things that God could have gifted you in. Now it's up to you as you mature to, to realize what that is and to lean into that for his glory and get better and better at it and be more and more useful and more and more effective in the mission with the rest of the body of believers. And if you don't know what your gifts might be, man, there's a ton of things you can do to get to know yourself better. I love the Clifton Strengths Finders assessment. <laughs> Obviously, this sermon is brought to you by Clifton Strengths. <laughs> it's your sponsor for today. But see, you could do something like that. There's all kinds of like tests out there, get spiritual gift tests. Some of them get a little weird, so be careful with what you're looking at, all right? But stuff like Clifton Strengths Finder is great stuff, you know? Take some quizzes. Try to, try to do new things to pique your interest and see if those are things that you're gifted in or you have a desire toward. Do something to be more self-aware in your life so that you can glorify God in, in the talents that he's given you. But I think the most important thing, certainly, that you can do to realize your giftings it's just be around other members of the body. The hand doesn't have to say to the leg that it doesn't know what to do. Because it's connected to the body, it has its place and it knows, right? And so once you get connected with other believers, you're going to start to be able to tell how God has gifted you because he's gifted each one of us in different ways. So you can write this down. Find your gifts by letting others speak into your life. Find your gift or gifts by letting others speak into your life. If you don't know what part you play, then let others who've gotten to know you speak into your life in that way and give you a better idea of that. You know, they, they can't definitively tell you what your gifts are. You're not like letting somebody direct your life for you. What you're doing is you're just gathering the information and seeing where the overlap is because those people might see something in you that you don't see, and that's usually how giftings work. Like our ministry resident, Matt, for example, okay? He took the Clifton Strengths Finder assessment because we do that with all of our staff. Yes, I know, again... That's our sponsor for today. And he took, he took the test, and he, and he has positivity in his top five strengths. Well, he didn't, that's right. <laughs> he didn't realize that he had positivity in his top five, or in his personality, or how he thinks about things. You know, positivity is usually uh, the strength that makes other people feel really good when you're with them. You know, because they're, they're positive. You just like to be around them. They're very generous with praise. They're quick to smile. They're always on the lookout for the good in any given situation. And Matt didn't really see himself as that positivity in his life. He just wasn't aware of it. But when all the rest of us saw that as one of the results for his StrengthsFinder assessment, we were like, yes, that is definitely Matt. If you guys know Matt, you know. He's like the most positive, but you want to be around him. He's a guy that you just like to be around because he's so uplifting. He's, he's, he lightens your load when you're with him. He doesn't drag you down or you know, criticize you, which is what you know, analytical tends to do. That's one of my top five strengths. So anyway... It's, that's why I like being around Matt, though, is because he builds people up, and it's positive, and it's very clear in his life, and he didn't see it. Now he does, though. He's starting to see it. He's starting to realize as we speak that over him and speak that into his life. But see, God has given each one of us something like this in our lives, and to some of us, he's given more, and to some of us, he's given less, and that's not for us to determine why or why not that happens. You know, why did he give one five and one two? Based on their abilities, and he's the one that created them that way. It doesn't really matter but what matters is that we do the best with what we have, what he's, been, what he's given to us in our lives. So we each have a gift that he wants us to strategically leverage for his purposes and his mission according to the ability that he's given us. 
That doesn't mean you have to go into vocational ministry either, although it could, right? Everybody, eyes up here, right? Ministry residency, maybe you want to go into vocational ministry. Doesn't mean that. I mean, it did for me, eventually. You know, I think God used my natural giftings and talents and abilities to help lead the pregnancy center and to be a pastor at at Mercy Hill for years and all that kind of stuff, but it led me to this place where I am now in vocational ministry. Maybe you want to jump into our residency and explore that over the next two years. I don't know. But for, for a lot of us, maybe the most of us, it probably isn't going to mean that. What it's probably going to mean is that you just go out and do what you do really well for God's glory and to the ends of the earth for his mission in the world. That's, yeah, that's probably what it probably means that you simply go do your job really, really well for God's glory and to fulfill his mission. That, that's probably what it means for you. It might mean enjoying a hobby that you do really, really well, doing that for God's glory and for the sake of his mission. You know, it, it probably means uh, if, when you go to school, man, you get those good grades, not so you can get a better job, but you get those good grades and you do things with excellence as much as you can and learn as much as you can for God's glory and to fulfill his mission in the world. That's what it means to do these things really well in our lives. It's that perspective shift that we've been talking about this, this entire year, really. It's you're no longer living for you. What you have isn't for you. It's for God and his glory and his mission in the world. You have to start living for Jesus first so that everything you do in your everyday life is in service to him and his mission. You can write that down as a note as well. Everything you do in your everyday life is in service to God and his mission. Doing really well in something often gives you other people's attention. You know, People crave uh, that kind of excellence. They admire excellence, in, especially in our culture. So if you're an incredible musical artist, for example, it's likely that people who love music are going to listen to you and your opinions more because you do it really, really well. I mean, we see that in our culture all the time. People want to know what musical artists think about politics and you know, philosophy and religion and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, what? why are you doing that? Well, it's because they admire their excellence in music and now they're searching for something in their lives. They want to know more about that person. That, that just, that's kind of how it works in our culture. And I'm not saying it happens that way every time. It's probably not going to happen for you if your talent is like, you know, being able to burp on command or something. Nobody's going to ask you how you did that. Wow, let me, you know, let me figure this out and get to know this person or something. But as, as you get better and better and you lean into your meaningful talents that God has given you, it's likely that you're going to have more opportunities to share Jesus' good news with those people. Because they're going to see something and you're going to be like, wow, you can do that really well. And then you have an opportunity to create a relationship with them. It becomes a very important space for you to lean into so that you can live on mission there. Because there may not be other Jesus followers in that particular kind of talent space, if you will. Right? I mean, just think about it. Whether it's in medicine or science or research or law or government or business leadership or accounting or teaching or acting, or orchestra, or dance, or anything else. You think about the talents that people exhibit in their lives, or the things that you might like to do. It's taking your gifts and your talents and using them, not for yourself, but going into those spaces for God's mission. Because as we say here all the time, people are the mission. So you're going to engage the people with these things. And even, you know, we see this in design and creativity and craftsmanship in the Bible. I love this. It's, it's from uh, the tabernacle, the building of the tabernacle. I've been reading this in my personal study time, so I've just been reading through detail after detail. And 
Sometimes the details can be overwhelming on these design things with the ark and, the, and the, you know, the tabernacle is where God's presence dwelled with his people and he met with Moses face to face. It's where the ark was kept and it was a holy place and God's presence descended there and all of that. Well, he gave detailed instructions for that to be created. Maybe the designer and the architect in me loves reading those details, but I think it's fascinating. All the numbers, I mean, God lays all this out and he says this in Exodus 28 to Moses, look, I have appointed by name Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, with understanding and ability in every craft to design artistic works in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut gemstones for mounting, to carve wood for work in every craft. I have also selected Aholiab, son of Ahisamach. I, I practiced that, so yeah, you're welcome. Of the tribe of Dan, to be with him. And I've put wisdom in the heart of every skilled artisan in order to make all that I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the ark of testimony, the mercy seat that's on top of it, and all of the other furnishings in the tent. And then he goes off and lists all of those furnishings. I mean, it's just so incredible to me, the amount of talent and skill and craftsmanship that was involved with this. And God said he filled them with his spirit to do it. That is so awesome. He filled them with the very ability to do what he asked them to do and carry out in their lives. And you might say, yeah, but that's for the literal place where God dwelled with his people. He's not going to do that with me and my small little talents that I have and the, uh, the ability to write or the ability to talk or whatever it is. And my response would be what Michael Scott says to Toby in the office, okay? Who do you think you are? What gives you the right, you know? It's like, but the opposite of what Michael Scott meant for that, okay? It's like, who do you think you are? You're God's holy temple. That's who you are. Because Jesus is God's perfect temple and you're in Christ. So yes, he's given you the ability to worship him and to glorify him in this world. Who do you think you are? You're one of God's chosen people now. You're in Christ. That's your identity. So of course he's given you these special abilities and skills to carry out his mission in the world. Don't you think otherwise? That is not true if you think that. See, if you have the spirit in you, he's given talent to you so that he can use it through you. Don't waste any more time thinking you're not talented or making excuses for yourself or anything like that. Figure out what your talent is and get after it, man. Let's do it for the glory of God in this world so that you can live with purpose and meaning. Because here's one of the key points from the parable. We actually have to do something with the talent or talents that he's given us. We can't just bury them. That's part of the, it's part of the problem with the one-talent servant, right? It's part of the judgment that he had. He didn't do it. He buried it. So you can write this down. It's well done, not well-intentioned. You might have all the best intentions in the world, but you've got to actually do the things that God has gifted you to do. You actually have to serve God's mission in the world with the talents that he's endowed to you. Not just serve yourself, not just serve your career, not just serve your ego or try to serve other people. Serve God and his mission. It's all about the master's bottom line, not yours. See, the one-talent servant made excuses for why he didn't do anything with his one talent. Remember what he said? He said in verse 24, Master, I know you, you're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, now you have what is yours. It's likely that when he said that, it was very ironic. We should see the irony here because the master probably wasn't a harsh guy at all. That's the irony. Because what did the other two servants do? They were excited to come to the master, right? Because they were faithful. They were excited to come into the master's presence. But the one here, he was like, man, he was lazy. 
So he used this excuse, the servant's blaming the master for his own laziness. Nothing ever good comes from blaming God for our own problems and our own sins, right? See, the one-talent servant actually got cast out because of his wrong view, listen, of the master. He had a wrong view of the master. It's because he thought he was harsh, so he was afraid. It's because he was afraid that he didn't leverage his talent for the master. My question for you is, what wrong-headed view of God do you have that keeps you from leveraging your talents for his mission in the world? Are you looking at God wrongly? Are you afraid of God? What keeps you from leveraging your talents for God's mission? Are you afraid of him? Do you think he's too harsh? Do you not trust that his joy is worth your faithfulness? What is it for you? I don't know. Only you can answer that question because we need to be careful here. We like to blame God for the pain and the suffering that we see in the world, for the injustices that we might experience, for the fears that we have, or the problems that we face. We're like, yeah, we could do it better if we were God. I would have done it differently if I were God. And the thing is, you're not, right? We're not God. He's the master. We're the servant. We serve him. Everything that we do serves him. It's his world. I mean, have you ever had to tell a kid at a birthday party that, hey, remember, it's not your party, okay? (laughs) I have to do this all the time in my household. That's why I bring it up. Don't forget, it's not your party now. They're the ones, it's their party. They get the gifts, they get the attention, right? See, we have to remember that with God in our lives. It's not our party, right? It's his. And whether we like it or not, he will come to settle accounts with us. And it'll be based on what we did with what he gave us not on how fair or unfair we think his opinion is on the matter. He's the master. And when we humble ourselves to that point and realize that God's way is the better way and that everything we're doing is to be leveraged for him, man, we can lean into our talents and gifts that he's given us and enter into his joy and be satisfied both now and into eternity because we're living the purpose that he's given us to live. We get to enter into his joy when our lives, our time, talent, and treasure are given toward his mission. That's different than what you normally hear with easy believism in American Christianity. Oftentimes, we hear this kind of prosperity type of thing. Man, if you just believe and you have the faith, then you'll get what you want. You'll get every, God will bless you with everything that you need, right? Just believe in God. Just have the faith and that's it. And Man, the Bible says even the demons believe. Believing in God's existence or believing that Jesus is God's son is not the thing that we see here in the parable. That's not it. Following is an action-oriented thing. You've got to follow Jesus with your life. You've got to do some things. This is not your intentions. It's what you actually do. You have to actively humble yourself every single day. And remember that he's God and you're not. Remember his way is better than your way. And yes, Jesus is your savior, of course, but is he your Lord? You've got to ask yourself that question. And I want to be careful too, though, because... It's more than mere belief, but it's certainly not less than that. So we do have to be careful because belief has to come first. We talk about this all the time at our church. You've got to get the order right. You've got to believe in who the master is so that it can then lead to you living out your life in a certain way because our actions follow our beliefs. So the parable is not teaching this idea that we have to be obedient in order to earn something from God. So we've got to be careful here about that, right? It's not that the two servants who had something to offer God or the master, they entered into his joy because they had something to offer. It's not because the one talent didn't have something to offer that he couldn't enter the joy. That's not it. 
We have to be careful. It was their view of who the master was and their belief about who the master was that led them to have the outcome with their talents that they had. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me on that? The two servants who produced double, they believed in who the master was and they knew they, wanted, they were overjoyed to produce more for him. So they knew him to be a good and generous master who if they had things to offer when he came back, would only glorify him more and they would get to enter into his joy. The one talent servant, he didn't think that about the master. He thought he was a harsh man. He had a wrong head of view. He didn't, he didn't see the master for who the master really was. And that belief led to him living out his life in a certain way that was displeasing to God and really useless because there wasn't any fruit produced from that. So the other two were operating out of faith and freedom. He was operating out of fear. So here's what you can write down. The gospel sets us free from fear. The gospel sets us free from fear. When we remember that God has been so generous to us that he paid for our sin debt himself with the life of his own son, man, we're going to start to leverage our talents for his mission and freedom, you know, because we're not afraid. We don't have any fear left in there. We're going to do it out of freedom. Jesus lived a perfect life for you and for me in our place, and he utilized his natural abilities and his talents perfectly while he was here on this earth. And now when you and I don't leverage our talents and abilities perfectly for his mission, like as we won't, there's forgiveness for us because of what Jesus has done. Because see, Jesus took our place on the cross. He lived the life we should live, but then he died the death that we deserve in our place. We deserve that being cast out. We deserve the weeping and gnashing of teeth because we have squandered what God has given us. And we have seen the master wrongly. We thought it was our party. It's really his. See, the beauty of the gospel is that he comes in and he says, listen, I know how wicked you've been, servant. I know your wickedness. I'm going to lay my life down to pay the debt that you owe me. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's paid our sin debt. So it does start with belief. It starts with faith in him. But then when we have faith in what Jesus has done for us, then we're going to start to live a different way because our life perspective is going to change. It's not just this religious thing. We just go to church and we read our Bible and we say we pray and we don't cuss or do anything bad, you know? It's not that. It's a deeper thing in your life. It's a, it's a heart desire to please the master when he returns. It's a different motivation there and a different view on life. And if you don't have that view, I'm here to tell you, you're just not a Jesus follower. That's what a Christian is. Just don't call yourself a Christian. That's, that's really what it boils down to. Man, if you just want to go to church, you want to be a religious, moral person, call yourself a moralist. That's great. You believe in God, fine. But listen, if you want to be radical and you want to follow Jesus with all of your life and live on mission for him to reach the nations with the good news about Jesus that you've believed, that's following him. That's living like a Christian. That's the normal Christian life. And when you live that way, I promise you, you will enter into his joy now. It's scary when we first take that step of faith, but you will enter into that joy now and into eternity. That's the beauty of this thing. You've got to have that eternal perspective. So let me give an action step coming out of today's message as we wind our time down here. What can this first step look like in your life? Well, the easiest way to begin is to figure out your giftings. And one of the easiest ways to figure out your giftings is to serve in our church. That's just a, a shameless plug for being a part of a serve team. You know, serve teams aren't just for the good of the church somehow, to serve me or somebody else. I don't know why anybody would think that. It's actually for your good, so that you can grow in your gifting, so you can write this down. Serving our church is the floor, not the ceiling. 
of using your talents and abilities in the world. We see this as the, the starting point, in other words. It's not the place where you end. It's not the end-all, be-all. It's where you start learning how to live out your giftings and your talents. So if you haven't yet, sign up for our next starting point and on-ramp. Make sure you get connected here and start using your gifts here. And I'll tell you what, when we move to two services in the future, and probably in the near future, <laughs> there you go, drop, drop that for you, right? When we start you know, meeting in a different location, a better location, hopefully in the near future, maybe in the near future being maybe in a year or two, I don't know. <laughs> but when we do those things and we make those moves as we're growing here together, that stuff's coming, it's not far off. But when we do that, we're gonna need everybody operating out of the gifts that God has given them in order to bring other people in and be able to, for them to be able to hear the gospel and then, and then operate in their talents and gifts as well and live on mission here in Roanoke with us. It's like a merry-go-round is how I kind of think of it. You guys remember merry-go-rounds in the playgrounds? You know, they're the ones that, you know, when you, you're, you're, everybody's like pushing it to go faster and faster and then you try to jump onto it and hold on for dear life and then you jump off and you go faster and faster. When you have somebody else who wants to come up and play with you at the playground, just put yourself back in that position for a minute. Do you want that person to help to like slow the, the merry-go-round down when they start playing with you? No. You want them to push faster and faster too. And if you can get four or five people around that thing, you guys are gonna start flying, right? That's what you want with the merry-go-round. Well, that's kind of how I think of our church in some ways. I mean, we're starting to go faster and faster. We're seeing, I mean, we've had nine baptisms. Somebody became a Christian here last week. They accepted Jesus for the very first time here last week. We're starting to see the merry-go-round go faster and faster. What we don't want to do is have somebody come on board and slow it down. I'm just going to be frank with you. The, the way that's going to happen, you're going to slow it down if you don't come and operate out of your talents and gifts here. If you're not operating and living on mission with us, it's going to slow the whole thing down. So we want you to jump on. We want you to get in it with us. Get in the mission with us. Anybody not giving their talents back to God and serving our church out of those talents will slow us down. So let me ask it this way as we close. Do you want to be a faithful servant? Do you want to be a faithful servant with your life? Because the faithful servants invested their talents and they doubled their talents. I mean, they saw more and more fruit. What a beautiful thing. They got to enter into the master's joy. And when you live out of your talents and get better at them over time, God will be more glorified in and through your life. And he's going to use you for greater and greater things in his mission as your life goes on. You'll get to enter into the master's joy both now and for eternity because you're working with him on what matters most, his bottom line, reaching the nations. So let's pray. God, Thank you. Thanks so much for listening with us today. We hope that it was an encouragement to you. But you know, we don't see this as a replacement for gathering with other believers in a local church context. So if you don't have a local church, we would encourage you to plug in with one wherever you are. And if you're in Roanoke, Virginia, we'd love to invite you to plug in with us here at Redemption Church. And you're welcome anytime to gather with us. But you can check us out online at our, our website, redemptionroanoke.com. You can look for other content or resources there. But thanks again for listening.